Good morning, everyone. Uh, So many people think of the star in the Christmas story and the wise men and the shepherds and all the animals. They think of it as just part of the the narrative. They don't think of it necessarily as being significant. Um, Someone said to me last week that, uh, that they appreciated the message because they recognized that that this is more than just just uh, embellishment to the Christmas story. It wasn't. It, it, it's not just myth. It's it's actually truth, and there's there's great facts and great truth behind the story of Christmas. And uh, you know, for many of us, and many people who don't know Christ, many that don't go to church, when they hear the story of Christmas, we see our kids enacting the Christmas story in school. We're tempted to believe that that's just part of the whole Christmas mythology, up right up there with Santa Claus and the reindeer. Uh, What we need to understand today is that every part of the Christmas story, whether we're talking about the shepherds, angels, the star, the magi, the animals that were apparently around the, the manger, All of these things have significance. It's important to understand that. Because in the story is thrilling truth that helps us see, first of all, that this is all real. It's not not mythology. It's truth. And it affects us in how we live our lives. And so... We, uh, we see the story of the wise men on their camels. We don't know if they were on camels. Like I said before, we don't know if there were just three of them. I am, I'm of the persuasion that it would have been a massive entourage uh, and, and probably more than just three wise men or magi, whatever you want to call them. There would have been guards. There would have been servants. Uh, remember, it was a 1,500-kilometer journey all the way from modern-day Iraq to to Bethlehem, a massive journey. And so it would have been a massive entourage that, that sort of descended upon Jerusalem and then eventually came to Bethlehem. Just keep that in your mind for now. But to understand the significance of the, of the Magi leaving Babylon and coming to Bethlehem, we've got to go back some 600 years before Jesus was actually born. Some of you, if you know your Old Testament, you know that Israel, because of their sin, was taken into exile. The Babylonians conquered Israel and, and Judah. At that point, it was a divided nation. Absolutely everybody who was a Jew was taken into exile. And among those people who were taken into exile were four young men, Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard the story, or maybe remember the story, of the young men that were thrown into the fiery furnace and survived. But as soon as these young men arrived in Babylon, here's what the king says, uh, Daniel 1.4. He says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. The king says, train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. 
And we read down in chapter 1, verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And it says, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So what you need to understand is that God has brought Israelites, some of his chosen people, to Babylon for a purpose. It's not just for exile. How many know that God often will bring something good out of what seems absolutely terrible? And that's exactly what happens here. God is bringing the light to the Babylonians. And the Bible tells us clearly that Daniel rises to the very top of of the, the governmental structure of Babylon. In fact, it says he's given a, a, a purple robe, gold chains, and he's actually in third position, the third highest position in the land. And let me just uh, show you this verse here in Daniel 5, 11 to 12. King Nebuchadnezzar made him, that is Daniel, chief over all the magicians or the magi, as we know them, the astrologers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. And so the very nature of the magi is that they are learning, constantly learning. They are imparting knowledge, and they're also trying to gather knowledge. And so I want you to get the picture here. 600 years before Jesus is born, God sends Daniel on a mission. He's a godly young man. And I would encourage you, read Daniel this Christmas. It'll absolutely blow your mind. Because Daniel speaks of the coming of the Messiah 600 years before Messiah comes. As Christians, we know this is not a coincidence. As Christians, we understand that God's perfect will is unfolding. So here is Daniel. He's instructing the magicians, the magi. He is over, responsible for all of them. And we, we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Daniel would have instructed the Magi in, in the theology and in the prophecies concerning Israel, and more specifically about the great king that would come out of, out of Israel. It's absolutely a thrilling, a thrilling thing. Now, Daniel knew all about the prophecies in Scripture, Remember, uh, I just finished reading to you that he had unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. He was gifted with knowledge and good judgment. So he knew scripture. He, He knew the prophecies. He knew the prophecy in Genesis 49 verse 10, which was written... Uh, over, more, more than a thousand years before Daniel was born. And it says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. That's uh, the tribe of Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. The one whom, listen to this, all nations will honor. Now you know that the Magi have read that and are familiar with that passage of scripture. These magi, these men that we call the wise men from the east, they knew of what Daniel uh, had told them. And it was, it was in their literature. It was written down for them to know. Daniel would have also known about the prophecy in Numbers. And some of you may have heard of the man by the name of Balaam. The Bible describes him as a prophet, as an evil prophet, in fact. 
And in 1400, about 1406 BC, Balak, an enemy of Israel, he hires Balaam to prophesy over Israel and to curse Israel. And as Balaam goes to do his job, because it's, it's very lucrative, big money in cursing your enemies, God reverses this and forces Balaam to speak a, a word of blessing upon Israel. In fact, to prophesy of the coming of this Messiah, this one who will rule over the nations according to Genesis 49.10. And so here's what it says in Numbers 24.17. I see him, this is Balaam speaking, I see him but not here and not now. I perceive him but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge. A scepter in case you don't know what that is. That's a symbol of rulership. A scepter will emerge from Israel. All of this, and there's, and there's so much more. Uh, in fact, I'm going to share one more verse from you from Isaiah. All of this points to the coming of Jesus and the signs of his coming. A hundred years before Daniel was a prophet Isaiah, and here's what he said. He says, darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. Now, we understand that that glory of the Lord is some, uh, probably the Shekinah glory of God. In fact, this may be the, st- the star that the Magi saw. And so here's, here's a prophet Isaiah saying, the time is coming. Darkness, the world will be dark as night. And all the nations of the earth will be in darkness. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over Israel. That's when it refers to you, it's Israel. All nations will come to your light. And this is exactly what we see happening. We see the Magi coming to this light in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that was spoken 100 years before Daniel. So we're looking back to 700 BC. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. And that's exactly what Matthew describes in Matthew chapter 2. So you have to read that. Let me just give you some background about the, about the Magi. So there's our picture of the Magi. That's a, the, the picture we're all familiar with. Some of you may have already gotten some Christmas cards that look almost identical to that. I know over, over 50-some years, uh, we've gotten all kinds of cards like that. I've been married for 50 years, but I was, we were getting Christmas cards when I was a kid. So we, we got all kinds of Christmas cards, the Magi. And uh, here's what you need to know about these Magi. Because most people don't know this. And of course, the Bible, if you don't know it yet, is not a history book. It does have history in it, but that's not the primary purpose of this book. So what we have to do is we have to go to other sources to understand more fully the story that is related to the birth of Christ. So here's what we know about the Magi. The Magi are what we would call a priestly tribe. They're, they're really like nomads, wanderers, and we find record of them, this is going to blow your mind, all the way back to Abraham before he left Ur. Remember God called Abraham out of, the, out of his homeland and sent him on a journey. He had no idea where he was going, but in that land would have been Magi. This, they were priests, they, were, uh, they would do sacrifices, they were men of wisdom, of knowledge, they knew how to read the stars, uh, they were just renaissance men, they knew everything. And we see this, this is going to blow your mind, we see these people in virtually every nation around the world. 
We even, and I just found this out last night as I was, as I was just going over my notes, we discovered that, that there's evidence that the Magi were actually in China. We have record of them in 800 BC. Absolutely amazing. So we, the whole world knows, the ancient world knows who these Magi are. They know that these are men of learning. That these are men that know more than, than virtually anybody at that time. They were found in, we find the Magi in Greece and Persia, uh, in Media, Babylon, and so on and so forth. So here we have these Magi. See a star in the east. They start going through their records, and they say, ah, could this be what Daniel the prophet taught us? And they came to the conclusion that the great star, the great glory of the Lord, as Isaiah calls it, is indeed the sign of the birth of a king. And they get on their, uh, on their camels or horses or whatever that they had. They gather together their servants and their guard, their armed guard, and they make way to Bethlehem. Now remember, Daniel would have taught them, clearly taught them, the Hebrew scripture. In Psalm 19, verses 1 to, do, say, 1 to 2 says, the heavens declare or proclaim the glory of God. Listen to this. The skies display his craftsmanship day after day. They continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. These magi are seeing a sign from God, and they know it. And they immediately set out to see who the king of the Jews is. So when we get to Matthew chapter 2, it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. By the way, King Herod is an evil king who has got no right to the throne of Israel. He is a puppet king, a puppet of Rome, because remember, Rome is occupying the land of Israel at this time. And it says about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now listen to this. King Herod was deeply disturbed. He fought hard for this, for this uh, kingship, and he wasn't going to give it up lightly. He's disturbed by it, and it says that and everyone else in Jerusalem was disturbed as well. And so he calls a meeting of the leadership, and he says, hey, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where can I find him? And they say, well, that's easy. The prophet Micah, 700 years earlier, told us, but you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins, look at this, this blows my mind, an origin, a, 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 a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. This is God speaking. God is speaking about his son, Jesus Christ. What does John call Jesus? John calls Jesus the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so here's Micah the prophet foretelling the coming of this one who is the Messiah, but whose origins predate Micah and predate the actual birth of the Messiah. Folks, if you, if you have read this story and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, i got to tell you, these, these are prophecies that came out before 
Jesus was born. And the numbers of prophecies, we're looking at over 400 prophecies or signs or shadows of the coming of Christ that point to Jesus. If you've ever had doubts, this is one of the things that fortifies my faith when I recognize that none of this is an accident. That the birth of Jesus, that every single step, every single thing, all the things that happen in the, in the Christmas story is all prophesied well in advance. And so the rulers tell Herod, Herod, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod goes to the kings or the wise men, the magi, whatever you want to call them. He says, well, he's in Bethlehem. And we read that the Magi then set out, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Now, this is what leads me to believe that we're talking about more than just a star. We're talking about some kind of of what we would call the Shekinah glory of God that guided them. By the way, we read in Matthew 24 that when Jesus comes again, he will come in his glory, in a cloud of glory. What the Bible calls this, this kind of Shekinah glory. So the first coming of Jesus Christ is marked by this, this bright light, this bright glory. And the second coming of Christ is going to be marked the same way. You, I haven't got time to get into this, but you can check that out yourself. What we do know is that God is speaking. God is speaking to the world. And quite frankly, Israel doesn't want to hear anything about it. And the star they'd seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And then we read in verses 10 to 11, when they saw the star, they were filled with... Oh, that sounded very joyful. <laughs> okay, let's... let's Let's pretend we don't, have, we don't owe any money and we have, we, have, we have the world is ours for our enjoyment. Uh, I want you to say it with me again. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. That wasn't too bad. I could hear Isaac over all, everybody. Thank you, Isaac. So they're filled with joy. Now remember, they've just been on a journey. They've traveled 1,500 kilometers. It's cost them a massive amount of money. But it was absolutely worth it to them. They were willing to pay any price to come face to face with the king of kings, the one who would rule over the nations. That's what they understood about this king of the Jews, the one who would rule over the nations. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And look at this. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, when you, I can tell you, if I had the privilege and the honor of meeting a queen of England, I would, I would, I know, I guess that's the only women that do that, curtsy. I, I definitely would probably bow my head, but I would definitely not worship her. Are you with me on this? I definitely would not be worshiping Queen Elizabeth, and I'm definitely not going to be worshiping King Charles or King William if I live that long. They live awfully long, these people. Anyway, <laughs> they worshipped him. They knew something about Jesus. They knew something that King Herod didn't know and something that the religious leaders didn't know, but 
should have known. They should have known this. What's the difference? These magi knew the scriptures as well as, almost as well as, the Jewish scribes and Pharisees and teachers. It's absolutely phenomenal. And so here we have them coming to the child, not just paying homage to him, but worshiping him. I heard recently someone trying to say that Jesus is, did not know himself or declare himself to be God, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus knew he was God. He knew who his father was. And Jesus received worship. And it began from the moment that he was born. I'm going to tell you something, people. This is why it is critical that you get to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then I can tell you right now, as a Christian, you are running on empty. Did you hear that? When I was, when I was a, a young pastor starting out in the ministry, I had no money. That's, I always ran on empty. In fact, I think my, my car ran on fumes. I had n- nothing. But I'm going to tell you, if when you're a Christian, you've got to top your tank up. And the way that you're going to tank your, top your tank up, that's a, that's a hard word to say, Sarah. The way that you're going to top your tank up is by worshiping Jesus. Tell the person beside you, you have to worship Jesus. Go ahead, tell them that. Now listen to me, folks. If you can get in the habit of worshiping Jesus and recognizing who he is and knowing him, it's a game changer. The Magi, it says, were filled with joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I look around nowadays at so many Christians, and I mean, where's the joy? Anybody with me on this? And maybe, you've, maybe you know that in your own life. Where's the joy? You're on your way to church this morning. You're cursing at the guy to cut you off and get out of my way. I got to get to church. I have to go worship Jesus. Get out of my way. Every chance I get, I love to tell the story about the time I was driving over the Israeli freeway that, in that car that had the bumper sticker that says, honk if you love Jesus. So I did, and he flipped me the bird. <laughs> I, I tell that story at least once a year, at least. Where's your joy, people? Hello, where's your joy? Most of us look like we're Christians baptized in vinegar lemon juice. Get out of my way. I got to get ready for Christmas. Get out of my way. What's going on in your life? Do your kids, those of you who are parents with little kids, do your kids see the joy in your life? You're celebrating the birth of Christ? And you're just mad at everybody, clean this place up, put that stuff away, leave those presents alone, stop shaking them. And on and on it goes. I got Christmas baking deal, I got to set the tree up, I got to... Oh, wow, what has happened to us? The Magi are teaching us something here, folks. The Magi are teaching us what really matters about Christmas time, about the birth of Christ. There's only one thing to do, folks. That's to be filled with joy and worship the King of Kings. Hallelujah. What are you doing? How are you celebrating? Pastor, quite frankly, I'm not celebrating. In fact, I wish Christmas would never happen. 
Do you know how many people are saying that? I mean, you just Google it. The numbers of people who are angry and bitter and uptight and anxious and furious when Christmas rolls around, Christmas, family fights break out, people committing suicide. What is going on here, people? The birth of Jesus should fill us with joy. It should cause us to worship him. Well, these magi, they've been waiting for 600 years for this event. They've been waiting, they've been studying, they've been following the literature written by Daniel. I'm sure that there must have been times when they thought, I wonder if this Daniel guy was for real. I wonder if it was real. But then it happened. And they responded to the signs that came from God himself. Now, I got I to gotta just, just, just stop and think about this for a minute. Here are these, these extraordinarily wealthy magi who have got servants, they've got their own army, and they're coming now to visit this child. Now, in their minds, what do you think they're thinking of? What will it be like when we get there? Are we coming to a palace? Are we coming to somebody with great wealth? Will the family be well-known? Will there be power? Will there be prestige? And they get to Jesus, and it's like, this is it? This is where you live? Jesus was poor. His family was extremely poor. They had no wealth. They had no status. They had no power. No recognition from any of the priests. No recognition from King Herod. In the eyes of everybody, Jesus was a nobody. But when the Magi got there, they didn't care what it looked like. They knew they'd come to Jesus, and they were filled with joy, and they worshiped him. Some of us come to Jesus with our own preconceived ideas about what Jesus is like, and what it should be like, and what I should get, and what I should have, and what, I, what should come of all this. If I, if I get next to Jesus, he's going to make me rich. There's TV preachers that preach that. But in fact, Jesus never promised that. And he certainly didn't start out in that. Here's what John tells us in John 1, 10 to 11. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the birth of Christ. John's gospel, the fourth gospel, doesn't talk about this, the birth of Christ in, in a sense of, of the details surrounding it. But here's what John says. He came, into the, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. I wonder if God's knocking on the heart, on, your, on, the, on the door of your heart right now, trying to get in, but God, don't, don't bother me right now. I've got things to do. I've got to... I gotta, cook turkeys for the big, big dinner at the church. And I, I've got to get, I got to help out. And I, I, got to, I got this to do and that to do. And meanwhile, Jesus is knocking on the door of our heart. And he says in the book of Revelation, if anyone will open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him. I will fellowship with him. Folks, this Christmas season, 
is a time to get reconnected with Jesus. And if your heart is far from God, this day, this very day, before this day ends, my prayer is that you'll get on your knees before Christ and wait on him and say, God, fill me afresh. Reveal yourself to me in a brand new way. I don't want to be one of those people, God, that rejects you, that rejects Jesus. Some of us are so busy doing stuff for God, so busy with our family, so busy with, with life. And the very thing that should matter to us most is the very thing that we reject and we forget. Well, Jesus' own people didn't know him and they rejected him. But the Magi didn't. Let the Spirit of God speak to you now. The Magi who are considered pagan have come now to Christ and they've come to worship him. And they didn't come empty-handed. You know the story. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What are these gifts? What do they represent? Well, gold represents the kingly role that Jesus would play. He is the king of kings. Frankincense represents his priestly role. When you burn frankincense, it is used as a, as a symbolic of prayer and a meeting with God. How many know today that Jesus is our advocate? We, Jesus says himself, no man comes to the Father except through me. And they brought myrrh, which was used for burial, for embalming. These gifts speak of the kingly role, the priestly role, and the sacrificial role that Jesus would play. You see, you just thought it was all part of the the nice stories about Jesus, but you didn't know that every one of these things means something. When that star appeared in the sky, the wise men, the magi gathered up their things. They got their gifts together because, again, they know the Jewish scripture. They know what the Messiah is going to do. They get it together and they go to Jesus, the king of the Jews. What are the lessons, people? What are the lessons from this? Because God still is speaking to us in the year 2017, about something that happened 2,000 years ago. What are the lessons? Well, this is one of the lessons. These, these magi have come to Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. This may blow your mind. But I believe these gifts, first of all, were given to Jesus, not so much for Jesus' sake, but for the sake of Jesus' parents. Did you get that? Can't you just think about this? An angel appears to, to Mary. Mary, you're going to have a baby. And Mary says, how can that be? And the angel says, don't worry, we're going to take care of it. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon her, and a child is conceived within her. And the angel appears to Joseph. And same thing. Now here's these young kids. The burden of giving birth to the king of kings the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. And they're wondering, God, what is going on here? This is all crazy. And the the shepherds then come to Mary and Joseph to worship Jesus. 
And Jesus is, has no idea what's going on. He's a baby. What's the point of this? Mary and Joseph are the ones that are called by God to raise that baby. And so God says, I'm going to give Mary and Joseph a little bit of encouragement. And after the shepherds appear, then the, these magi from Iran, from Babylon appear and give these gifts. And now Joseph and Mary are thinking, wow, this is real. This is big. We have got something far bigger than we even understood. These gifts, yes, they were given to Jesus because he was the king, he's a priest, because he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But these gifts were also given for his parents to encourage them in their role as Jesus' parents. Hey, Mary and Joseph, you're not crazy. It's all real. God is involved here. And God's about to blow everybody's mind. What else do we learn here? Well, when telling the Christmas story, I don't know if you've actually read the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2, but most of us stop at about verse 12. We don't go on to verse 13 and to the end of the chapter. Because the next part of the the Christmas story is not very pleasant. It's not something that we tell people at Christmas time. Remember when, when the Magi were done talking to Herod, getting instructions, go to Bethlehem. Herod says, oh, and by the way, can you guys come back and tell me where he is so I can also worship him? And the Magi, no problem, we'll do that. But after they've seen Jesus, God comes to them in a dream and says, don't go tell Herod about this. And so the Magi slip away. Herod finds out about this. He's livid, furious. And so what he does is he sends his soldiers to go and kill all the babies in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. We don't tell that part of the Christmas story, do we? But the amazing thing, folks, is before those soldiers arrive, an angel comes once again and speaks to Joseph and Mary and says, fly to Egypt. I I don't mean by Egypt there. Take off. Get out of town, go to Egypt, and stay there until God tells you to come back. Now just think about this for a moment. How does a young family, husband and wife and a little baby, how do they take a 700-kilometer journey and then live in Egypt? How do you do that? If I'm going to take a trip to Regina, I've got to make sure I've got at least 100 bucks to get there and 100 bucks to get back for gas alone. Not counting meals. How does a young family do this? Where are they going to get the money from? I'm glad you asked that question. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Those gifts were there. God sent the Magi to provide the resources to keep baby Jesus safe. Does that blow your mind? Folks, listen to me. With God's calling comes his enabling. One of the things that weighs heavy on my heart is our commitment to Burundi. There's times I wake up in the middle of the night and I think, God, how are we going to meet their needs? How are we going to do this? And then I hear God say, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. With God's calling comes his enabling. 
on Friday, I went for lunch with uh, an old friend of mine who heard a little bit about what we're doing in Burundi and was very intrigued by it. And uh, at the end of the meal, my friend pulled out a blank check and said, um, you know, I have given to so many different projects, uh, mostly you know, humanitarian works, but I feel like I really want to support the work of God, that is the work through church. And so she wrote out a check for $9,000. Did you hear that? $9,000, this, this came in on Friday. And it's, it's specifically to help us do the work that we're committed to in Burundi. With God's calling, people comes his enabling. And most of us are too worried, too stressed out, too anxious. How are we going to make ends meet? How am I going to do this thing? And God speaks to us through the Magi, through the Christmas story. Don't worry about it. It's God's God task, and with it comes his provision. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Folks, they did more than just pay homage and, and, and give their respect. They worshipped him. What will it take for you to bow down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What does God have to do? Hopefully he can show you these marvelous signs. Hopefully God can appeal to your logic and help you to see the truth. What does God have to do to get your attention, to get you to the place where you'll finally say, yes, Lord, I recognize who you are. I recognize that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I will worship you. This verse to me, these two verses to me, are, are two of the most amazing verses in Scripture. Because I, I sometimes find that Christians have a hard enough time worshiping Jesus and have a hard enough time being filled with joy. But here are these magis. They see him for the first time. And they are filled to overflowing with joy. I want to give you a challenge this Christmas. I'll give you a challenge to get your joy back. And you're all sitting there. (laughs) I want to give you a challenge to get your joy back. Where you have a smile on your face. Not because you're getting everything you want, everything's going your way, but because you know Jesus. And because you know that Jesus loves you and cares about you and knows exactly what you are going through right now. Would you stand with me, please? I don't know about you, maybe getting old and sentimental, but just looking at that picture makes me happy. The baby Jesus. Folks, can I just tell you something? You can't muster up this joy. You can't say, I'm going to be joyful, I'm going to be joyful, be joyful, be joyful. I'm going to write signs on the wall and tell myself to be joyful. I love that Christmas card I saw. Three children holding the letters J-O-Y. And they're all crying. (laughs) I thought, that's Christian. So many Christmas just like that. (laughs) Joy. (laughs) 
You can't be joyful in your own power or strength. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You can say, I want to be joyful, I want to be joyful. You can force yourself to smile. I want to tell you what joy is. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Did you get that? Joy is fruit of the Spirit. And where the Spirit of God is having His way in your life, there is joy. So folks, listen to me. If you're missing your joy, you're not smiling, you're not happy, that's a sign. That's a big red flag. God is saying, get on your knees and get your heart right with God so you can get your joy back. Tell the person beside you, you got to get your joy back. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Everybody, let's pray. God, to think that it all started with a star. God, thank you. Thank you for what you did so many hundreds of years ago. God, when we look at the story of the Magi, our hearts are filled with joy, with gladness, recognizing, God, that it was not an accident that they were there. It's all part of your design. God, for, for all of the history of Israel, they believed that God was only for the Jews. But when the Magi arrived, it signaled that God is for the whole world. The Messiah was born, a ruler for all the nations. God, this morning we pray that your spirit would work in us, that we would get back to that place where we have the joy of the Lord, because that is our strength. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So this morning, God, we pray that every one of us would make sure our hearts are right with you so that you could have your way in our lives, so that the joy of the Lord is evident in us and through us. And in in that, God, the world would know that we belong to you. And so we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go with joy.